In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I'm very grateful to Father Cod for asking me to come and offer the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass with you, and for his readiness and fortitude to have something in the midst of the cancellation of the Eucharistic Congress to draw you to the parish that we might worship God in spirit and in truth. I saw Father Winslow and Father Christian this week, and Father Winslow is now in Alaska, and Father Christian is recovering from his third foot surgery. And they are in both of those places because I had to get rid of the competition. <laughs> as little as that competition might be. The seed that is spoken about here, falling on different kinds of soil, reminiscent of our Lord's previous words when he says that unless a grain fall to the ground and not just be received, but even if it is received, die. It remains just a grain. So even out of the ones, the soil that actually receives the grain, even inside of the rich soil, of course it has to die. And part of the reason that we have this wonderful remedial reality of death is that otherwise you and I would so easily be choked by the anxieties and the pressures and the pleasures of life. When that stands before us all the time, it is hard to pretend as if life has any other meaning than a good and worthy and holy death. As if everything you're ever going to do is preparing yourself for that one moment. And so in some sense it seems strange for you and I to think to ourselves that we want to sort of get back to normal. What is normal for a creature that's both rational and is going to die? What does that mean? Get back to normal. You and I are heading somewhere. And all the vicissitudes of life, if looked at, no matter what they are, sub specie eternitatis, under the aspect of eternity, change color. In some sense, it doesn't really matter what the particulars of life are, so long as I am preparing for the one reality. And thus it is that people often say, unfortunately, to Christians, you are part of a dying religion as if they're telling us something we don't know. We've been dying in this religion since Calvary. That's what's happening and what it's about. Ultimately, as the imitation of Christ says, it is the duty of every single Christian to live a dying life. To live a dying life, which is not morbid. On the contrary, and the reason that it's good news is it's an exchange. And so ultimately, when you and I come to Holy Mass, what do we say with St. Paul? St. Paul says very clearly in 1 Corinthians 12, which is antecedent to the writing of the Gospels. He says, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we do what? We proclaim the death of the Lord. 
in the memorial acclamation that was instituted in the new mass. Mortem tuum, annunciamus domine. We announce the death of the Lord. And as if the church at that time was so afraid to just leave it there, it added, and proclaim your resurrection. That's not in St. Paul. It's not that we deny the resurrection. But the scripture is very clear. When you and I come here, we're not proclaiming the resurrection. We're proclaiming the death. Why is that important? And why is that not morbid? Why is that actually good news? Because he says to you, not just to the apostles, but every single time we come to Holy Mass, he says to you, to me, this is my body, which is for you. It's for you. That's why he extends it in the Mass, that the living reality of Christ at the right hand of the Father still says in the present, this is my body, which is for you. The text doesn't say, which will be given for you, as we say in the canon of the Mass. The original text is very simple. This is my body, which is for you. Why is that good? Because you need it, and I need it, at the actual reception of the resurrected Lord through his death is something that knits up in me eternal life, such that I don't have to look at death which is going to come for us all as something that is simply in the future, but something in which I participate now, because I participate now in eternal life. But that it might not be mere consumerism of another, rapaciousness of another, it requires an exchange. In other words, if you're going to say, when he says to you, this is my body, which is for you. If you eat it, you'll have eternal life. This is my body for you. If you drink it, my blood, you'll have eternal life. If you simply say amen, thank you, and go about your merry way, it doesn't have its effects in you. The first effect it has in you is that it makes you die. It makes you die in the things you need to die to. Otherwise, it's not effective. It doesn't just give you power. It does that, but it gives you power to die. All the things in me that cannot live in eternity. Because there's much in me that is not yet fit for eternity. And perhaps there's much in you. It has to be a marvelous exchange. In other words, you have to say when you say amen, and this is my body, which is for you. I don't have any other plans. I don't have any other dreams or endeavors that I'm going to do outside of you. This thing right here, I'm going to give over to you one day, and thus I give it to you now. I'm going to exchange this for yours. Those of you in the parish who remember a previous time, even prior to that really unfortunate occasion of Father Winslow becoming your pastor, remember that the Franciscans were here. And some of you may be still third order Franciscans here. 
Yesterday was what feast in the Franciscans? The Stigmata of St. Francis. The first one that is known, maybe it was St. Paul as well, but the first one that is definitively known to have had the wounds of Jesus Christ stamped into his flesh. And why I think that is significant happening upon the eve of a Eucharistic Congress, of a day of Eucharistic adoration, of a day in which you and I are consuming the living body and blood of the Son of God, is because it happened at the end of Francis's life, when in some sense he was perfectly passive. He was basically kicked out of his own order. And he goes up to a place called Laverna, which is perfectly obscure in the middle of nowhere in Tuscany, on top of a mountain. And there he begins to pray, giving himself over to Christ who gave himself to him. Because there's nothing else Francis could do at that point. In some sense, he was passive. In the way in which our Lord handed himself over and was seemingly passive at the crucifixion. And at the same time, you could say he was the most active on the cross. Even when he seemed to do nothing, to say nothing, to preach nothing, to heal no one was the very moment at which he was actually absolving the sins of the world. When people did things to him. And so it was that Francis had things done to him. And he said to our Lord in La Verna, he said, grant me the grace of feeling the pain of the crucifixion. But more importantly, grant me the grace of experiencing the love that caused it. And as Brother Leo recounted, at a moment of sort of transfixed prayer, there appeared a seraph. A seraph is one of those angels that is the closest to God, and they're called seraph because it means that they burn. They burn for love of God, and had six wings and is fiery red. And in the middle of that seraph, in the middle of that love, was a crucified body. And it says that as he was looking upon the crucified body of Christ, that wounds began to appear in his hands and in his feet. But the point is, is that they were not produced from the outside as if he were skewered. They were produced from the inside because he got his request. That is to say, the love that caused the crucifixion, St. Francis knew. And so coming from the inside out, this marvelous exchange of bodies, him saying to our Lord, that body is for me and mine is for you, so much so that he looked just like him. A total identification of the blessed gift of Jesus Christ to Francis and Francis to Jesus Christ. And that is the task of the Catholic. It's a dying religion. And unless you engage its death, you cannot engage its life or its love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.